You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, this will certainly not be the first time on this show that we have talked about this particular topic, but it sure feels like we have entered a boom and bust era of MMA programming. There are weeks when it is undoubtedly boom times, especially as it concerns the quality of athlete and the fights that you get inside the cage. Weeks like UFC 281, we're just overflowing with stuff to talk about and the email is popping off and just so many topics we can barely get to them all. And then those times necessarily, I think, give way to, to weeks that feel a little bit more like a bust. I guess depending on how you look at it, it feels like a bust. And I would say this this past week and weekend kind of felt a little bit like a bust, especially when you get into these low-profile, kind of shallow UFC fight night events that are built entirely around They're sometimes even lackluster main events. And then you get a bit of bad luck, like where Derek Lewis succumbs to some kind of stomach issues and is pulled out of his fight with Sergey Spivak like he was this past weekend. And it's almost like if you had any interest to begin with, that fight night immediately ceases to be. Yeah. Just in terms of your interest, whether or not you're going to spend the time watching it, et cetera, et cetera. And so then we roll up here on Monday and, uh, I think we got to admit, you know, we're in a little bit of a bust time here. Yeah, a lull, a bit of a lull right here. I'll tell you what, when I heard this news about Derek Lewis being out, I was a couple of pitchers of beer deep watching the Grizz Cat game, which I'll be honest, wasn't going great right from the start for yeah. the Montana Grizzly football team. And so, you know... I was aware that this one was starting a little bit early. I was thinking like, okay, when is it going to, this football game going to be over? I was out at a local tavern with uh, a friend of ours and thinking, eh, when do I get home and have to make sure I'm around to watch Derek Lewis? And then I see the update via Twitter. Derek Lewis is out with some bubble guts or whatever it was, some, some kind of stomach issues. I mean, stomach issues here feels like we're doing the same work that lower body injury is doing in, in hockey, as we like yeah. to know. Yeah. Could could be a lot of stuff that covered by stomach issues. But once I see that, I just mentally sort of close the laptop because, okay, now I, I can catch up on whatever else may uh, uh, happen of interest to come out of this fight night the next day or whatever. But that's the only one it felt like need to be in my seat for. But again, since the UFC has changed, it seems, its attitude toward what kind of content this is, where it's... The fight nights serve to tell you that there's going to be something on on Saturday. There's going to be some fights on on Saturday. You lose the one big fight that seemed like it was anchoring it, that seemed like that will get people to show up and watch it live. Big deal. Doesn't seem like it really matters that much to the UFC or, frankly, to ESPN, at least on a case-by-case basis. The question I have, I guess, is cumulatively, 
does ESPN sort of take a step back at some point and look at this and be like, mm, we don't feel like the UFC is sending their best for these fight nights. Yeah. And maybe that's something we'd want to talk about. Or are they just ecstatic for how many regular subscribers the UFC keeps in the ESPN Plus pocket? Just because you kind of got to have ESPN Plus at this point to be a UFC and MMA fan. Yeah. My guess is it's the latter, but I guess I have nothing to base that on. Um, but they they seem to be keeping us around. If yep. you and I are any indication of how the rest of the market is going, they seem to be keeping us around just paying for our subscriptions, which is the thing that they want most of all. So my assu- my assumption would be that they're they're quite happy. I guess I also have to say, when I say it's bust times over the weekend, maybe that's only looking at it a certain kind of way. Because if you are a person that all you want is to have some kind of fighting on a screen near your eyeballs, it could this there, it's maybe never been better in the history of combat sports because, uh, you know, UFC had an event, Bellator had an event, one championship had an event. There were some smaller time MMA shows. There was some boxing on. If you just want constant entertainment from watching two people engage in some manner of fisticuffs, I don't, you probably have nothing to complain about. It's only that if you're interested in watching the best fight the best that it probably feels like it's a bust. Maybe for everybody else, if that's what they want, this shit's just never been better. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the It's also probably a, a calculation for ESPN Plus to be like, look, now is not the time to lose any live sports licensing rights. Like, Yeah. It's, there's not that many that come available at any one time. The UFC thing probably seems like it's still working out pretty great for them. And honestly, the UFC pay-per-view market, I think, remains surprisingly strong. And maybe if you if you see that that's the acceptable trade-off, hey, bunch of weak fight nights, and that interest is always, you know, there, but it's sort of a low hum in the background. But the, the trade-off is more stacked pay-per-views with a couple title fights or a couple big fights, so that if you do lose one from those, you still got something people want to see then maybe you think that it all works out in your favor in the end. Yeah. A reminder, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. We recently launched our new merchandise shop. We'd love it if you'd head over to our website and click that link at the top of the page that says shop. There you will find all your old favorites, like the original Dundasso t-shirt design, the old school cowboy astronaut, cigarettes merchandise. You can also find a lot of cool new stuff, like the brand new Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts, officially licensed merchandise for the dreaded MMA gods, and of course, the hottest seller on the market today, the Bobby Nux shirt. Yeah. We're partnering with our friends over at Superconductor on the shop and these new designs. Superconductor is a brand and design studio. You've actually seen their work on the CME for a long time now and just didn't know it. We've been working with our longtime collaborator, Johnny Ashcroft. We can't recommend them highly enough for all of your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. Of course, we will also briefly remind you about our Patreon page where we do three additional podcasts a week. There's the official CME Discord message board as well. A lot of interaction to be had over there uh, with the other beloved patrons of the co-main event podcast. Ben and I stick our noses in there frequently as well. And of course, uh, over at patreon.com slash co-main event, if you sign up today, we've got a patronage tier for every budget. You should go check that out 
as well. We got music this week from our guy, the Funk Soul Brother, a.k.a. James, a retired amateur MMA fighter and hip-hop producer living in Seoul. He sent us some new tracks a little while ago, and we're excited to bust those out for you one more time. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check him out over at Instagram.com slash FSBBeats or YouTube.com slash C slash Funk Soul Brother Beats. And of course, in the grand, grand tradition of having to spell at least one word in the name of each of our musical acts, we should note that the word soul in Funk Soul Brother is spelled S-E-O-U-L, soul. You see what he did there? It's the genius of it. This is that new shit. He's dropping that new shit on the CME. That new, new shit. Three rounds this week, as usual, in the co-main event podcast in round number one. Wow, what a win for Derek Lewis. Coming from behind in the third round to stop Sergey Spivak via TKO. He snaps a two-fight losing streak. And we'll talk about where he goes from here. Wait, what? Well, they didn't have that fight? Okay, uh, we'll get back to you guys on that. Yeah. And in round number two, after some delay, Vadim Nemkov is your Bellator light heavyweight Grand Prix winner. Cue the confetti and break out the giant check and all that. And in round number three, the PFL's first ever pay-per-view is this week. At least that's what we're told. Are you going to watch that? Will anybody? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN is one of my favorite online products. I use it on all my devices. I know Ben does too. It's super fast. It's easy to use. Even I can figure it out, which is saying something. NordVPN will give you the peace of mind of knowing that all your personal information is safe online. Whether you're using the internet at home, traveling, or just running around town, your phone bouncing around from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi, NordVPN has got you covered. Ben, what is the the thing you like best about NordVPN. Well, you know I love the way it kicks on to protect me on various public Wi-Fi's. Doesn't matter where where I go, Chad. I could be at the market. I could be at my local public house. I could be down at the distillery. It does not matter. As soon as I get on that Wi-Fi, NordVPN knows, jumps into action, keeps me protected. I appreciate that. Obviously, we've been telling you guys about the Nord security bundle for a little while now. NordVPN has three easy options for how to use it. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little extra coverage. Or if you want to go for the big dog, if you want to go whole hog, you can get the whole complete plan which will take care of your every need. You can enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker generate and store strong passwords, protect files in an encrypted cloud. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main. That's all one word to get one free bonus month as well as their exclusive 30-day money-back guarantee. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Ed Leslie. We all know who that is, right, Ben? I believe that's Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Brutus the Barber Beefcake taking time out of his busy schedule to write into the co-main event podcast. He writes, I assume this so, email comes straight from his cosmetology school. So did anyone else catch where Miles Johns said his coach, James Krause, had found out at dinner the night before the fight that he was, quote, suspended by the UFC and couldn't be in Johns's corner, as in the same James Krause who loves to bet on some fights? 
also the same guy who's at the center of that investigation into the strange line movement on the Derek Minner fight. I know Dana was just out there assuring us all that there is 100% no fire here, but there sure does seem to be more and more smoke. Nah, mean? Nah, mean. Yeah. Yeah. We both nah, nah, he means. Yep. Especially, it's interesting to me that I haven't seen that much from the dedicated MMA media sites on this, but ESPN has been on it, especially your dude, Mark Raimondi, who is the best thing that the... MMA side of ESPN's reporting division has going for it. Honestly, he does good work, and ESPN's uh, also has you know pretty good sports gambling coverage in general stuff through their chalk uh, aspect of their site. And so he's been on this one, and he had a story where they talked about they had a little more detail into what exactly happened because the way Miles Johns put it in his post fight interview made you go hmm since he said we found out at dinner basically the night before the fight like Friday night that my coach was suspended by the UFC. And you're going, why would that be the UFC's decision to make? Why wouldn't that be a regulator's decision to make, uh, who to suspend? And Dana was just out here telling us there was no evidence anybody involved in that fight had done anything wrong. And hey, listen, this happens in sports all the time. It's not a big deal. Like, very much sounded like a guy who just wanted the thing to go away and not a guy who was like, whatever it takes, we'll move heaven and earth to get to the bottom of whatever may have happened here. And then if you turn around and the UFC was suspending James Cross, you'd wonder, did they learn something new? Was it precautionary? What was that about? Because you, you are at that point kind of messing with his fighters. The guy's going, hey, I brought this guy out here as my main coach and I'm having counting on having him in the corner for me on fight night. And then you tell him the night before, no, he can't come. He has persona non grata in the corner, can't be there. You're really screwing with that guy. So it's, it better be something that you have reason to act upon. And then Mark Raimondi had this story up, and he notes, this is me quoting from the story here, Earlier Saturday, the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement sent a bulletin to the state's licensed sports books instructing them to not offer wagering on any fight in which Krause is involved, quote, as a coach, trainer, promoter, or fighter. Uh, and then goes on saying the betting integrity firm, U.S. Integrity, launched an investigation into this Minner fight. Um, and, you know, Kraus coaches Minner was in his corner for that fight. So that seems like a that's a significant step forward in whatever is happening here behind the scenes. That some that some state and, uh, you know, for sports gambling purposes, a pretty big one in New Jersey coming out and being like, if this guy's there, you can't offer any odds on the fight. Yeah. Like, yeesh. That's pretty dramatic. It seems like you've got yourself in the wrong kind of spotlight at that point. Yeah, what's say the name of the entity one more time that told New Jersey not to the New Jersey Division of Cross? Gaming Enforcement. See, that sounds the gambling like commission is holding on by the skin of their ass. teeth, though, Chad. We know that the gambling commission in New Jersey has been holding on by the skin of its teeth. I'm just saying, yeah, that sounds like that sounds like a state ag- agency I don't want on my ass. I don't yeah. want them looking into my shit, especially if I'm James Krause. And it does, this whole thing kind of makes you feel, makes you speculate that new shit has come to light, as the dude from the Big Lebowski might say. Uh, And frankly, the rawest of raw deals for Miles Johns, it seems, who comes down to the uh, fight night event, still gets the unanimous decision victory over Vince Morales in his preliminary fight. But like, just have your coach pulled out from under you at the last second. Uh, That that seems pretty shitty uh, if you're that guy. 
especially since like doesn't he saying he just moved there like up uprooted his family and all this other stuff and then now james kraus may well be on the outs for some allegedly nefarious gambling dealings and and so that seems like again bad deal for all those fighters and miles johns at this point most specifically thank god for these post-fight interviews man or else we might never find out what's going on in mixed martial arts i assume <laughs> we will never find out what what the next step of this thing is in the james kraus investigation until someone confesses it to us live inside the cage while michael bisping is standing there holding the microphone yeah we just need to wait for somebody to blurt it out and uh, then we can get to the bottom of it. But if you're James Krause and if you feel like you really didn't do anything here, if it's, you know, because there's a whole lot of different ways that Derek Minner situation could have happened where somebody else just realizes that he's injured and they spread the news or they make a big bet and they tell somebody else. Again, probably would not take a whole lot of betting action on a fight of that magnitude to set off some alarms. So it, he might not have done anything there. But if that's the case, you would think... He would really be making it a priority right now. You'd want to get your name cleared because this is starting to fuck with other aspects of your business as a fighter and a coach, not to mention your reputation. Like you just don't want to have your name come up that often in something like this. You you need to handle it one way or another, um, especially you don't want to be in the eyes of that New Jersey Gaming Commission. They blew up the chicken man in Philly, Chad. <laughs> blew up true. his house too. Yeah, that's Didn't true. know if you knew that. Next question this week comes to us from David Lauderay, who writes, is Habib the best coach in MMA, or did he merely inherit a small roster of up-and-comers already poised to take over their various divisions? Discourse, please. You know, Ben, I heard other guys say we came here to take over, but... <laughs> that's dope. That's a good That's a good way to take the guy's own line and use it against him. Like, that's, yeah. that's how you do it right there, frankly. Yeah. I, uh, MMA trash talk among retired and for the purposes of the doping pool currently retired guys. That's as good as it gets. We talked about this a little bit on Friday uh, prior to this weekend's action about a potential Nurmi takeover of the major lightweight titles in this sport. What with Islam Mahachev having already captured the UFC lightweight strap recently. And then over the weekend, uh, the cousin Usman Nurmagomedov, which I have seen referred to as a name that like one of those early EA sports games would generate for you if you were playing season mode and you had to do a draft. Usman Nurmagomedov just sounds like, you know, somebody that they made up. Yeah. Uh, but he went out there and he captured the Bellator lightweight title, right? From the other Pitbull brother, from Patricky, from Patricky Pitbull. So uh, reminds me of Seven. At the end of seven, where uh, the Morgan Freeman character has to remind us that Habib Nurmagomedov is in control here. He holds all the cards, all roads lead back to Nurmi at this point. Yeah. And the question about, you know, it, it, did he really build this group up or did he just inherit it? I mean, it's not like it's a whole bunch of dudes who are already super established fighters who then seek out. Habib when they're already like 25 and two or something. And then he just puts some finishing touches on it and sends them out there and then tries to claim it when they win a belt. Like these are people that have been riding with him for a while, have been with that whole crew. I mean, it's fair to be like, whatever is going on there, it's not just Habib. It's a bunch of other people. You know, his his dad was a big instrumental part in it. And it's, it's f totally fair to be like, they're, they've had a solid crew of people work on this for a while, but it's not like you're seeing a whole bunch of established talent then go find him 
and then he gets credit for it. Like that's we've seen that happen before with some camps, but that's definitely not what's happening here. Those those have been his guys for a long time. Yeah. Although you are right, I agree with you, but it also seems like you could do a lot worse than come from the natural recruiting base of a bunch of Dagestani Sambo masters. Seems yeah. like that's a pretty strong area to cut to come from there if this is indeed your your aim that is true you make a fair point next question this week comes to us from scott farkas <laughs> okay sure who writes i haven't heard this talked about much but the connection with Pereira and glover is really setting something special up that could play out like this now everybody buckle up because we are about to do some game theory here nice Pereira defeats izzy again then he parentheses he says i know but for the sake. And in the post fight, Pereira, with his depthless stare, said he's coming for Yuri to avenge the recent second defeat of his brother Glover. Parenthetically, I know, again. Just looking way per- into the future here, okay. Pereira versus Yuri is bonkers. I gots to have it, he says. Now, even better, say Glover pulls off a storybook ending to his decree to his to his career by defeating Yuri. And then in the post fight, he retires, telling Show Rogan. That he is leaving and making the path for Pereira to claim his second title at 205. Nicest way for the nicest man in MMA to go out and still sets up Yuri versus Pereira. And we've avoided that whole wrestler thing altogether. Discuss. Uh, I mean, I just got to give Scut Farkas credit for the crystal ball work here. Yeah. Because we're we're way down the road mm-hmm. in terms of uh, just spinning yarns here. For Alex Pereira. I mean, if we do want to get into the speculative business of imagining a future where Alex Pereira moves up and tries to capture another UFC belt. Again, this is right after he's just captured his first UFC belt. So that's already a tricky business to begin with. But if we wanted to get into that, you don't have to work too hard to get me hyped about a potential fight between him and Yuri. Because that's just matchup wise. That seems fun as all hell, doesn't it? Oh yeah, give it to me. It's mine. And yet, the whole this last line here, we've avoided the whole wrestler thing altogether. Talking about Yuri Prohaska as if you know, okay, he doesn't have a ground game either, so we're just going to stand and throw those bungalows. Might I remind you that he did submit Glover Teixeira, like the the main jujitsu coach and sort of spiritual leader in the corner of uh, Alex Pereira. So he, he might know a little something about it, you know? I'm not saying he's out there just nailing people with blast doubles or anything, but he knows a little something about it, clearly. Alex Pereira won the UFC middleweight title. What is it at this point? Two weeks ago? Nine days ago? Nine days ago. So maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> you think but, so? Yeah. Um, I'm into it. I'm into it. Shout out to Scott Farkas for his, uh, his using the the long eye or whatever he's got here. Uh, next question this week comes to, a, comes to us from Evan McHugh on Patreon. He wrote, why is Dariush not getting a push? I understand the division is saturated with talent, but he's a good looking guy on a solid streak. Eight, I think. I just didn't even bother to look it up. Just going to ballpark it at eight. I feel like the UFC should at least be trying to make more of him. Is there any backstage gossip of him pissing people off? Or is it just a case of if you're not great, you're not good? 
I can't imagine there being backstage gossip, being pissed off at Benil Dariush, especially, you know, in this sport where if you want to have backstage heat with somebody, it ain't that hard. You don't yeah. got to you don't got to look too far to find someone deserving of your backstage heat. I mean, I just think it's a situation where Benil Dariush is, in fact, way too nice, way too unassuming. And frankly, he won't help himself out. It's like he categorically refuses to help himself out in situations where being a little bit more cocky and having a little bit something more to say might actually help him in the public side. It's like he's allergic to it. He's allergic to that kind of talk, which as an actual human being is probably a good thing. Like as a fighter out here trying to get a title shot in the most competitive division in mixed martial arts, man, you could you could help yourself out a little bit more. Even if we just went out and got the guy a manager to speak for him or something, because he's just he's just too friendly. Yeah, I kind of feel like he needs a thing, like a thing that could be summed up in one sentence the way a lot of the other guys at lightweight half. Where because you look at like who's ahead of him in the rankings or who's around him in the rankings. We got like you know he's sitting right now. I'm looking at the UFC's rankings. He's at number four. Justin Gaethje has got that you know sort of Homer Simpson style. Just gonna let it all hang out, sling and bang him, and, and just let the chips fall where they may. People like that. Dustin Poirier. I mean, he's cool, Dusty P. At this point, he's practically an institution unto himself, selling the hot sauce and then beating people up and. People love him. Charles Oliveira, I mean, the champion had a name, and it was Charles Oliveira. We all know that. And then Islam Mahachev is just like Habib 2.0 out there as champion. And you get to Benil Darius, and you're like, he's good. That boy good. But a lot of people good at lightweight. And quietly stacking up those wins. I counted it. He's right. It is eight in a row now. And they're not really being anything where people go, okay. I got to see this guy fight for the title. They're not dying for it. It's like if we were looking around for we need a new contender who hasn't had a chance yet, he's right there. And sure, like he'd have to be on the list of guys we call and see if they can make the date that we have already selected in our heads for the next lightweight title fight or whatever. But he doesn't have that thing right now where people are going to be standing up at Q&As like, when are you going to fight Benil Darius? Stop running from Benil Darius. He just doesn't have that thing yet. Yeah. And you're right. It doesn't seem like he's terribly interested in acquiring that thing. No, no, it doesn't. He just needs a gimmick for himself. And, uh, you know, if he were a heavyweight or a women's featherweight fighter, he would have had a title shot four fights ago. But he's in the most crowded, most competitive, most bloodthirsty division in all of mixed martial arts where you can't just be a mild-mannered soft-spoken absolute murderer with salt and pepper hair you gotta you gotta have a little something extra man you just gotta give it help yourself out benil that's all i'm saying how about help this yourself out I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out a suggestion just just throw it out there you tell me what you think what if he starts showing up in a top hat see that's kind of what i was about to suggest like Sort of a suit and tie briefcase carrying maybe and maybe we're always trying to figure out what's in the briefcase. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um like in pulp fiction, like you open up the briefcase <laughs> and just a light shines in your face. Maybe yeah. Benil does something like that. He he'll just he keeps insisting that there's nothing suspicious going on with his briefcase and he wishes we'd all stop asking about it. Yeah. Start saying weird stuff like Justin Gaethje will never get his hands on my beloved briefcase. Things like that, even though Justin Gaethje doesn't even want it. Justin Gaethje's looking up from a plate of chicken wings like his what now? I don't. Uh. 
And then every once in a while, he'll reach into the breast pocket of his three-piece suit, pull out a, a pocket watch luxury timepiece on a chain, and be like, oh, I've, I've got to catch a train. Yeah. And then he disappears. I feel like we just made Benil Dariush 10 times more interesting in the last 45 seconds. You're welcome. And that's for free. We're just giving you that on the free Monday proper. That's just for anybody to take up. Yeah. So, you know, do with it what you will, Benil. But you could help yourself out. Mm-hmm. Next question this week comes to us from George Allen Summerall, a.k.a. Pat Summerall, longtime American football player and television sportscaster. And he writes, American Thanksgiving is coming up. Now, why would Pat Summerall call it American <laughs> Thanksgiving? Because he knows the CME has an international audience. Okay. In the spirit of John Madden, who in the MMA sphere gets who in the MMA sphere gets your 2022 Turkey Leg MVP award. You can either choose two people for each of the two turkey legs or six people as the Madden six-legged turkey allows. But rank the number of guy, one guy girl, one who gets to choose their leg first. Also choose your favorite MMA side dish. No, no, we're not doing that. Uh, it's got to be, even though we just uh, poked a little bit of fun at Scott Farkas for looking so far in the future. One of those turkey legs for the year of our Lord 2022 has got to go to Alex Pereira. Yeah. Because we were saying right before he beat Israel Adesanya, this man came into the UFC. On November 6th, 2021, that was his UFC debut a little bit more than a year ago. And just in this calendar year, three wins. Bruno Silva, Sean Strickland, Israel Adesanya for the title. I don't know if you could find anyone who has done quite as much work to quite as much success this year as Alex Pereira. So one of those big old turkey legs has got to go to Hands of Stone or Stone Hands, whatever his nickname is. Yeah. Uh, also, Pat Summerall's been dead since 2013. I don't know if you knew that, but just looked it up real quick. Good of him to write us from Beyond the Grave about American Thanksgiving coming up here. Um, let me just throw this out there, and I'm not even sure I believe in it myself. Would Leon Edwards deserve a turkey leg? Hmm. Okay. Do you have his resume in front of you? Well, I'm just... Leon Edwards is one of these guys where we're like, oh, yeah, good luck, Leon. For one thing, you got such a string of bummers. We talked before about how it seemed like maybe nobody was as negatively affected by COVID and the stuff that it did to the UFC schedule and all that than Leon Edwards, who was in a pretty good position as it, when it came in there. to, to he, Like he was supposed to be fighting in a number one contender fight and travel restrictions and all that just basically hit pause on his career for a time there. And then he finally gets in there against Kamara Usman and it's looking like, okay, he's going to get Usman the same way everybody else does, but no head kick, headshot, done. And he's the, the improbable champion. And that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty good. Uh, what about Zhang Wai Li though, as well? She lost to Rose Nama Yunus at UFC 268 on the same night that Alex Pereira made his UFC debut November 6th to 2021. But in 2022, she's got two wins. And what are they? Well, a spinning backfist KO of Joanna Jacek at UFC 275. And then that second round rear naked choke submission over Carla Esparza at UFC 281 to capture the women's strawweight title for the second time. 
that ain't too shabby either of a year right there for Zhang Wiley. That's true. That's not bad. All right, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go back to that website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, like we said at the top of the show, it was supposed to be Derek Lewis going out there to fight his second Sergey in a row, trying to take on Sergey Spivak in the main event of this UFC fight night down there at the Apex in Las Vegas. But Derek Lewis got the tummy troubles, had to go to the hospital, as is being reported. Non-COVID, non-weight cut related, according to the UFC broadcast team, he has since been cleared to return to action for whatever that is worth. But it just seemed like he had a uh, one-night bout of the tummy troubles there, kept him out of this main event fight. So instead, we went ahead with a five-fight main card headlined by Kennedy's Achukwu's defeat of Iwan Kutalaba just uh, a minute and 30 seconds or so before the midway point of round number two, which mattered to some of us more than others. (laughs) But like we said at the top of the show, this one's kind of felt like they uh, like they yanked the rug out from under us on this one. I thought the way you put it, mentally close in the laptop on this UFC fight night uh, is is probably the best way to put it. Uh, to, to date, I'll just tell you, I've only watched one of these fights. The only fight I watched was the main event. And the rest of it, maybe if I got nothing to do over the Thanksgiving holiday. Hold on. You're going to tell me you didn't watch your guy? Jack Della Maddalena. Well, I Go- saw that Twitter highlight. I mean, the whole fight, it, it, for one thing, it's not going to take you long to watch it because it's only about three and a half minutes, but it's worth watching it because that dude is just landing clean strikes right away and looks like everything about his posture and facial expression, everything looks like he is in an incredibly low stakes sparring session with his little brother. And he's trying to just teach him some things. Remember in The Wire when the, the, the kids were learning to box and, and Cuddy made one of them spar with him and he told him, I'm going to show you as gently as I can how much you don't know. He That's sort of the vibe he is bringing to these fights. Like he is in no danger. He's just going to show you some things. And those things are going to be, this is what you shouldn't do. Otherwise, you'll get walloped upside your head. And he's just landed, landed so clean. And it's just it's pretty to watch. Absolutely pretty. And... Frankly, uh, shout out to Brendan Fitzgerald on the broadcast here trying to get JDM started, only to be met with immediate resistance from Michael Bisping, who is just like, no, we're going to say this guy's full three-ass word name. And him being like, no, JDM, come on. Like, <laughs> let's get something going here, man. Give him, give him a little something. Uh, that I thought was really impressive. And I was paying attention because I know that's the one you, you like to sprinkle that one on top of all your bets. You just you you liked Jack Mel- Della Mal- Madalena. See, JDM. It just works so much better. You like JDM's chances, and it seemed like okay, maybe now we got to give him a fight where he's not a seven to one favorite or something. Head did. 
Yeah, we were talking about over on the Friday Power Hour the last couple of weeks that at this point, in terms of our year-long betting exploits over there, we're just trying to come out ahead of uh, the interest rates. We're just trying yeah. to make enough money that we feel like we've come out ahead of America's surging interest rates. And I got to say, after this last week, I'm way out in front. I'm way out in front of the interest rates. So I'm feeling pretty good for the first time in a long time. Thanks largely to JDM, who I sprinkled on top of several parlays that were successful this week. So thanks to him for that. And thanks to matchmakers for continually making him such a huge favorite. Well, the thing about Derek Lewis being pulled out of this one because of stomach issues, the the vague description of stomach issues, is it is one of the most hilarious possible things Derek Lewis could be pulled out for. Like, you know, he's going to, when he finally does say something about whatever it was, Unless it was like, uh, I discovered I have stomach cancer or, you know, I almost died on the hospital room floor or something. He's probably going to have a sense of humor about it. It's like the only funnier thing a guy like Derek Lewis could be pulled out of a fight from would be like, balls was too hot. You know, <laughs> like the temperature of his balls escalated dramatically. And for precautionary reasons, he was pulled out of the fight. Like that, that's kind of the only other way. Cause him being like, Oh yeah, no, I ate some Popeyes for the fight and didn't agree with me. And so I'll get you next time. Like that would be kind of an on-brand move for Derek Lewis. Although it does also tell you something about just where we are in the sport that when we're trying to say, here's why the guy was out, but we don't want to tell you too much about why the guy was out either for his personal privacy reasons or because we don't know or whatever. We're trying not to get too specific. And the things we have to say for a while there, you know, it was like somebody is out illness, non-COVID illness. And in MMA, we got to add non-weight cut related stuff too, because it's just that common that somebody makes themselves ill doing the part of this sport that you have to do the day before the contest. You know, that just drives yeah. home some of the insanity. Although you'd hope a guy like Derek Lewis going to roll in there and, and hit the heavyweight limit most of the times is not exactly killing himself on the weight cut. You'd hope. Yeah. And I would think we would get to hear from him sooner rather than later, because like I said at the beginning of the show, he's already been cleared to return to action. So my assumption is that the UFC would try to try to rebook this thing, if possible, sometime in the near future. Uh, they got this December 3rd fight night that is down in Florida, Stephen Thompson and Kevin Holland is going to be the main event of that one. It's already got what I would describe as hella fights on the card. But also, you know the Florida Commission. It's not even going to blink at the idea of adding an extra fight to this thing. So they could put him there. You've also got this December 17th fight night where uh, Jared Cannonier and Sean Strickland is the main event. That one's back, of course, at the Apex. Uh, so far, only two fights made official for that. So if you're looking for a place to drop the redo, the do-over on Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak. It looks like you're going to have some opportunities coming up, at which point we will get either a press conference or a post-fight interview with Derek Lewis where he explains to us exactly what was going on with the tummy troubles and uh, how hot his balls was. So both of those will be good. It'll be good to get updates on those. You know he's going to be hilarious about it. You know, that's just... He's going to be super hilarious about it. Did you watch Kennedy... Zachukwu, yes, Starch Iwan Kutalaba, because uh, you know this is a guy who's actually been in the UFC for for some time now. Kennedy Zachukwu, he's one of these Dana White Contender Series guys, made his official debut in 2019, but it's been a a bit of a quiet climb. He lost two in a row uh, 
last year and earlier this year, but is now out to two more wins with uh, Carl Roberson and now Iwan Kutalaba. Kutalaba, of course, far and away his highest profile win. Uh, and this is a guy who still seems like he's fairly raw in the game, skills-wise, but also in this new look light heavyweight division, uh, you could do a lot worse than a six foot five dude who hits super hard uh, and seems to have at least enough wherewithal to get himself out of trouble when he gets on the ground. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing though. I heard or like saw a quote of him talking about, you know, what it was going to mean for this fight. And maybe it was after the fight had happened or something. And it was like something about what it was going to mean for the Derek Lewis fight to be pulled off of this fight card at the last minute. Um, and he had said something to the effect of like, oh, okay, well, it'll mean more attention for me. And and I thought, is he right about that? Because on one hand, like I said, I bet there I couldn't have been the only one who heard Derek Lewis is out of thing. The main event is off the day of the thing. Close the laptop in your brain yeah. and just be like, yeah. mm, I'll catch the next one. But then among the people who are going to watch every single one, no matter who's left on it by the time the broadcast starts, people who just want to see somebody punch somebody else in the face on Saturday because it's just part of their routine at this point. Maybe he's right because, you know, if he had gone out there and done this same thing, it would have been like, wow, awesome finish for that dude. And then afterwards, Derek Lewis goes out there, throws the bungalows, get, maybe gets a knockout of his own, does his little celebration thing. And you know how that can kind of just erase everybody's memory about all the other stuff on the undercard. Is he right? Yeah. Did he, did he, was this kind of a good thing for him? Yes and no. Like again, total viewership probably went down when we found out Derek Lewis wasn't going to, going to make the date. But at the same time, the UFC sure has figured out a way to keep all of us media types on the leash because we've got all this content to fill. So now there are going to be a bunch of Kennedy's Achukwu stories, uh, at least for a day or two, until we got to move on to the next thing, when he probably would not have gotten that same attention if he had knocked out Iwan Kutalaba in the co-main event or somewhere further down the card. So in that regard, it probably is a little bit of added exposure for him. Although in the grand scheme of things, probably not as much as, as the card would have gotten overall if Derek Lewis were still on it. But again, in this day and age, Who's to say what's more important, like actually catching eyeballs uh, on the card or being the guy who gets the knockout that is going to be, you know, on the websites and social media and stuff like that for the next couple of days. So uh, I think he's more on the radar for those of us who have to create content about this sport and therefore going to get a little bit more exposure. Yeah. The, I mean, the other variable, though, that you're dealing with, if you're looking at like, oh, OK, coming out of this thing, there wasn't much to talk about. There's not that much coming up immediately on the schedule. But the problem, Chad, is that it's American Thanksgiving and how many of the websites have already got their, you know, 20 times Paige Van Zandt looks sexy on Instagram posts just ready to go, you know. Yeah top 10 comebacks in the UFC posts and shit like that. And, or just like, here's a way we found to get Conor McGregor's name in a headline. Enjoy. And, you know, just like a look at some ESPN's going to do one of those things or ranking the light heavyweights or something, you know, everybody got that, their finger on the button, just ready to hit go on that content. So they don't have to do anything over the holiday week. Did you get the uh, 20 times Conor McGregor has looked sexy on Instagram post preloaded up over at comainevent.com so we can take the next few days off? Uh, you know what? I started working on it and then I, I had a seizure. And I don't <laughs> think that those two things are unrelated. Huh. Okay. He was so, too uh, sexy is the problem. Yeah. 
That does seem seem like my brain couldn't handle it. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, I tried to watch this video blog by Patty Pimblett where he professes to tell us how he goes from 205 pounds during his off time to then making weight at 155 pounds for his actual fights. Uh, And I assume he explains that in this video blog post. (laughs) You assume you didn't find out. I can't understand a word he's saying. And this is the one time on the internet where I'm like, man, I could really use subtitles here. The UFC will subtitle just about any goddamn thing, except when Patty Pimblett is telling me how he makes weight. No subtitles. Are you fucking kidding me? It's American Thanksgiving this week. You expect me to be able to, to tell what this guy, this scouser, is talking about? Is this scouser-only content? Is that what this is? Because he might have divulged the secret to me about how to lose 50 pounds in 30 days, but I would never know. I like to imagine you. Sitting there, seeing a, a post scroll by on your social media feed, seeing the headline somewhere where it's like, Patty Pimlet explains how he makes weight, and you going, okay, this I gotta hear. Mm-hmm. This motherfucker, I gotta find out, because he looks fat as hell between these fights, and then he looks ripped as hell when he shows up on TV, like a couple weeks later. I got I gots to know what does Patty Pimlet know that the rest of us don't. And then you click on the link, you sit there and you watch the video and you feel like it's all been a cruel joke because you still don't know. Couldn't understand a word he said. Although I think at one point he eats pound cake for breakfast. Hmm. Pound cake, huh? He might have said pound cake. I honestly I don't know what it was. It's something that looked like pound cake. That could have been what he said, but who okay. knows? And some decent breakfast cake, I suppose. Chad, my are you fucking kidding me this week? Did find a way to get Conor McGregor's name in a headline over here after all. Because you mentioned earlier, Habib saying, you know, there was a guy who was talking about, I hear long time ago when one guy was talking about, we're here to take over, but we here to take over. And everybody went, okay, yeah, he got you. Pretty good line, repurposing the old Conor McGregor joint. But you know, that's not going to just fly with conor mcgregor not when he still has access to twitter because he got on there and he wrote i fight on your father's plan is never complete because you quit and ran brother god bless i'm still here if you want to go again but your fear of defeat means you've already lost run from it all you want we all lose in the end death takes us all i fear nothing but god prayer hands emoji shamrock emoji Hmm. now I guess I kind of got to say, in what sense are you still here? <laughs> Does he mean just like on the planet? Like if we want to get into a street fight, like send location? Is that the kind of thing we're doing? Because one of the most notable news items about Conor McGregor has been that he is not kind of still here. That he kind of got himself out of the testing pool uh, to go do this movie thing and, and, and whatever else he has in mind. And... That therefore, like if Khabib was like, okay, I'm unretiring, I'm going to fight, that technically kind of aren't still there for him to fight. Um, But also, it feels like maybe he started out this tweet with one thing in mind, and by the end, it just became like the dark hand of death will find us all eventually. And I went, I wasn't expecting it to go that that place, you know? That's just a little bit unexpected. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Wow. 
Only Conor McGregor could be out here tweeting all those things to a guy who already soundly defeated him. <laughs> right? But you can't run from death. He takes solace in the fact that Habib Nurmagomedov will not live forever. That's fair enough. All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, I kind of got to admit right off the bat that Vadim Nemkov went out there and made me look a fool. Made me look a damn fool because I sat here in front of God and all the patrons on Friday's Power Hour and said, you know what? The first fight he had with Corey Anderson, I think we kind of saw what we needed to see, didn't we? Looked like Corey Anderson was in total control. I know it was like seven, eight months ago, but what could he have really possibly changed in his game that's going to cancel out all the stuff that Corey Anderson was able to do to him in that that, that fight? It seems like it's just going to be more of the same, doesn't it? And then he went out there, and nah, playa, it was not. It was a totally yeah. different fight this time, and it was almost all Vadim Nemkov. Yeah, if the question was, what could he change about his game to make it different for this time? The answer was damn near everything because he went down to American top team in Florida and at least for the purposes of this fight, sewed up that defensive wrestling because he had Corey Anderson, I think it was 0 for 13 in takedown attempts throughout this fight. And brother, you could not have two fights over what is almost eight complete rounds between two men that look as different as the two fights between Corey Anderson and the guy who is still Bellator light heavyweight champion in Vadim Nemkov, because this one was all Vadim. He's out there uh, shutting down the takedown attempts. He's landing those low kicks to limit Corey Anderson's mobility. Uh, he's They're both, frankly, kind of setting a torrid pace in terms of having a striking battle here. Vadim Nemkov got the better of most of that action with the counter striking and, uh, just, again, the takedown defense lights out for Vadim Nemkov in this fight, and he walks away as a guy who probably has a legitimate claim to being in the conversation as the best light heavyweight on the planet right now. The guy hasn't lost since 2016, way back in Ryzen. He did, in fact, lose to Yuri Prohaska, the current UFC light heavyweight champion back in 2015 as part of the Ryzen Heavyweight Grand Prix. Uh, but after back-to-back losses in 2015, 2016, this guy's spotless, man. And he's got wins over Liam McGeary, Phil Davis, Rafael Carvalho, Ryan Bader, uh, and now Corey Anderson. So, you know, just considering John Jones has been on the shelf and allegedly out of the division, moving up to heavyweight, Bellator right now has itself this guy who could lay claim to at least, you know, being in the discussion with Glover and Yuri as the best 205 pounder on the planet. Yeah. And he walks out of here with the giant ass $1 million novelty check mm-hmm. made out to Vadim Nemkov. And, uh, you know, that that's always a fun sight to get to see. Um, he, you also got to consider he's at this point in his career and he is 16 and two, like fewer than 20 professional fights in MMA. Uh, and so, you know, a 30 year old guy 
in one of those divisions where eh, you, people tend to age at least a little bit better. He could be around for a good little while here. And it does make you wonder, because we, we mentioned earlier before this fight, how if you were just looking at rankings, like where the websites rank people who you know were not just doing organizational rankings, but were doing divisional rankings, Corey Anderson versus Vadim Nemkov should have been a fight that mattered in the sport yeah. that was on everybody's yeah. radar. And it felt like, you know, a little bit, that's what happened. That a lot, some of the regular people stood up and took notice, but also as we've talked about before, uh, the ease of access issues that Bellator faces a little bit being over there on Showtime might affect you a little bit here too, that not everybody gets to see it. And so then you kind of fall off some people's radar. Like, how do you get people to realize that you, you have a guy who deserves to at least be in the conversation as best light heavyweight on the planet. Because the tournament would seem to be a good way to do that. And yet it lost a lot of momentum when the first one ends in a no contest. And we have to wait all this time to get it, see it finally resolved. Yeah, that did take a little bit of the momentum, some of the steam out of who was going to win this Grand Prix. But at the same time, like as I was watching this fight, it dawned on me what an interesting duel Vadim Nemkov and Corey Anderson have had over the course of these two fights. And as I said, now almost eight complete rounds and the adjustments that Nemkov made, et cetera, et cetera, kind of made this whole thing fascinating. And this was kind of a fascinating fight to watch. And as I was watching it, the thing that I thought is, man, I hope people watch this because like, this is a good fight between two relevant uh, in their prime light heavyweights who are near the top of the ledger or should be in terms of who is the best in the world at 205 pounds. And you do get the impression that people just aren't paying attention right now because of Bellator and because, uh, you know, it's largely hidden away over on Showtime and nobody either has the money or the the interest in having an additional streaming service now that they have to have to watch all of these different MMA promotions. And that's a shame because this is a, one of those instances where Bellator has done a good thing. And just imagine what could or would be said of this series of fights if it were in the UFC. If Corey yeah. Anderson and Vadim Nemkov had had this happen, this exact sequence of events in the UFC, uh, people would probably be going nuts over it and lionizing it and talking about what a great uh, you know, th- adjustment it was that Vadim Nemkov made and all this other stuff. But because it's in Bellator, uh, it barely gets a notice. And that's, in this instance, like kind of a shame. Yeah. And you're right that absolutely if this were main eventing a fight night or something, then they would be acting like it's a actually huge deal. What do you think about what we're going to do next? Like after you come out of here, you get the big ass check, you get revenge on Corey Anderson here. And then we're like, and up next, he'll face Yoel Romero, who is somehow still around. (laughs) Well, again, that's uh, one of the troubles you have. If you're one of these other organizations, you don't have this. Uh, embarrassment of riches of a talent pool that the UFC has. And so you get the impression Bellator is just trying to put uh, people out there that we have heard of before. And it would be surprising if Yoel Romero was able to defeat Vadim Nemkov at this state in the game. But Yoel Romero feels like he is as good as anyone in the world for that three seconds that he, uh, that he has that burst. Yeah. And then there's a lot of standing around in between those times. Uh, more to the point, I think, though, we recently, over the last week, had this announcement that Bellator is going to be on CBS for the first time, going to be making its debut, featuring a guy who was in Vadim Nemkov's corner over the weekend, that being Fedor Emelianenko. And uh, as we talked about last week on the Power Hour, he will be set to fight in his swan song, his alleged retirement fight, 
the guy he's been waiting for, Ryan Bader. Ben, folks, are you as surprised as I am that they that they pulled the trigger on this one, on Fedor Emelianenko against Ryan Bader, as long as they've been talking about it, as long as it took to put this together, as long as, as the opportunity persisted for cooler heads to prevail and a better idea for Fedor Emelianenko to take over, are you surprised that this is the thing we come out the other side doing? Well, I mean, everything we've heard over and over again, right, has been that this is the fight Fedor wants that this is the one Fedor just really won't let go of. He wants that Ryan Bader fight for the last one. And I mean, hey, you know, if that is the case, uh, he's Fedor. He's earned the right to call a shot if he's going to go out, if this is really going to be the Fedor retirement fight and not just yet another Fedor retirement fight. Um, But it is, it just feels very underwhelming from a fan perspective. It's just not the one that you think like, okay, I was going to feel like my time here in this sport was incomplete if I didn't get to see Fedor fight Ryan Bader again. Like, no, nobody was thinking that. Well, and that's the thing that kind of gets me, too, is that you, at least in theory, have this opportunity, if you're Bellator, to put your product out there on network television, perhaps in front of a large amount of eyeballs, though I think as time passes, those things become less impactful than they were maybe a decade ago or so. But it still seems like an opportunity to to maybe let some people know that you're out there, remind them that you're still here, have them see you for the first time. And I don't understand having the main event of this thing be Fedor against Ryan Bader. Now, obviously, you are cashing in on Fedor's lingering celebrity inside this bubble if such a thing exists he's a guy who's fought on network television before he's done decent ratings he's one of the greatest of all time people know who he is but no matter how this thing comes out it seems like your end result if you are bellator the organization is somewhat limited because either fedor beats ryan bader and becomes your heavyweight champion and you are in fact able to give him this nice departing moment right where you're like oh yeah fedor walks away as champion that's how great what a great thing for the last emperor to be able to do. But if you're Bellator, well, you're kind of back to square one because then you got a vacant title. And we know that Scott Coker only has one card in the playbook for the vacant title, and that's probably going to be heavyweight Grand Prix tournament, right? To try to figure out who the new guy is. Uh, so we can fire that bullet again. But if Ryan Bader wins, well, man, you still got, what is it, 37-year-old Ryan Bader? A guy who that many people have decided we've probably already seen the best from, and now he's your heavyweight champion. I just don't know how interesting that is to anybody, no matter how this fight comes out. If you're Bellator, it just seems like you you could have done something. And I, look, man, I know you can't just snap your fingers and get whatever matchup you want. You can't just snap your fingers and get AJ McKee or get Anderson Silva or whatever you want for this thing. Maybe you're boxed into a corner with what you're able to do, but. Shit, man. We haven't even done it yet, and it feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Any case, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, we have known for a while that it was going to happen. It goes down on Friday, November 25th, PFL 10, 
the first ever Professional Fighters League pay-per-view offered exclusively through ESPN Plus pay-per-view, if I'm not mistaken. Your main event here, Kayla Harrison against Larissa Pacheco in the Women's Lightweight Championship. You also have Brendan Lochnane and Bubba Jenkins on this thing. A slew, in fact, of weight class finals for the 2022 PFL season. Uh, also, Marlon Marais was supposed to do the thing with Shane Burgos. Burgos had to pull out. Now we've got this Marais on Marais crime with Marlon Marais taking on Shaman Marais. Uh, but altogether, like a, a PFL card that doesn't look that much different from a regular PFL card. Yeah. And this one going to be on pay-per-view. Now, we know this was a thing that they had planned to do. They had, I believe, promised Kayla Harrison if she came back that they would do this pay-per-view. Uh, but what is it with 50 bucks we're charging for this? 49.99? 49.99. Which still seems expensive, but in the grand scheme of things is now significantly less expensive for what you pay for a UFC these days. Uh, what are we thinking here? What's the what's your take on this just in terms of price, quality of card, first foray into pay-per-view for PFL? What's the wide angle look here? You know, I do think that as much as People like us are going to complain about it being a $50 pay-per-view for PFL. I can understand how they might have been doing the math on it being like, first of all, if we come out there and we tell you the pay-per-view is $30, we're kind of telling you that we're shitty, right? Like we're kind of telling you that we're a knockoff because that's not what a pay-per-view costs. You're not going to look at it and be like, oh, what a deal. You're going to look at it and be like, this is these guys admitting that they're the off-brand shit. They're the pay-less shoes of the MMA space here. So you don't want to do it in that respect. Also, you probably look at it and be like, the core audience that we're looking for, who is willing to buy a PFL pay-per-view, probably does not see a ton of drop-off from $30 to $50. Like, if you were in a headspace where you are like, oh, there's a PFL pay-per-view, and it's, you know, pretty much like what you'd expect from one of the better ends of the PFL spectrum in terms of card quality. Uh, sure, tell me what it costs. It's not like there's going to be that many people who are open to the idea at one price point and then completely shut off to it at another one. So it's like yeah. you don't have many of those people. You do need to kind of maximize the revenue that you can generate from those people. But again, I don't think there are a ton of those people out there. And especially when you're picturing somebody sitting around here Friday night, the day after American Thanksgiving, Chad, if you're looking to stay home and watch some sports, there's a lot going on this week to choose from, you know? So I don't know if this is the one where you are really sort of maximizing your potential. I guess you got the weekend to yourself because there's no UFC. That's the best thing I can say about it, kind of. But other than that, I would be stunned if they break into the six figures in terms of total buys. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I don't think you get to 100,000 buys here. Uh, but again, like you said, day after American Thanksgiving, maybe it cuts both ways. There is a lot of competition out there, but there are also probably going to be a lot of bored combat sports fans who are sick of their families, and they're not going to go meet Cousin Larry at the bar like they said they were going to. They're going to end up staying home, and maybe they buy that PFL pay-per-view uh, because of it. But I don't know. I mean, I like I said on the uh, over on the Patreon a week or two ago, my assumption is that they have done some manner of uh, good faith estimating and uh, research here to figure out 
around what the buy rate might be, how much money they stand to make, whether or not it will flop or succeed. And if PFL makes some money and Kayla Harrison makes some money, you probably have a success on your hands, regardless of, of what your buy rate is. So, so there's that. It does feel to me again, and it has felt this way for a while, but maybe the stakes now are raised even more that we're, we're putting it, you know, on pay-per-view. It feels like you are rapidly nearing the end of what you can do with Kayla Harrison, especially if, you know, the main event of your first foray into pay-per-view as played out according to the season is Kayla Harrison fighting Larissa Pacheco for the third time. Well, the thing, I guess that the, the asterisk on that is you're nearing the end of what you can do with Kayla Harrison without a big free agent pickup without going and specifically trying to sign somebody for the purposes of making a big-ass fight for, for Kayla Harrison, which when she was talking about kind of her reasons for re-signing and then talking about what they were going to do with her, put her on pay-per-view, that kind of stuff, it also seemed like that was part of what she thought the deal was here, that we're going to go and we're going to get you somebody, we're going to find you the big competition, the big fights. And... Really, right now, it kind of just seems like Cyborg is the only potential option that you could get that would seem to people like, okay, that's a big-ass fight. I do need to see that. If, you, if you're charging for that on pay-per-view, I might pay to watch it. But if you're just beating up the same people over and over again, no, that's not going to work. Yeah, it does seem like you are at the point where you need to make that move, I think, uh, if you're going to carry on being in the Kayla Harrison business. And maybe if they get some some additional data about how this stuff goes on pay-per-view, maybe that helps them make a, a decision about that. I don't know. Yeah. I guess we will have to wait and see. Uh, unless there's anything else you wanted to say about the PFL pay-per-view, I feel like we can probably do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let people behind the scenes and tell them that uh, I don't think Chad Dundas pl- plans to get this pay-per-view because you have planned to have a party at your house this evening, this same evening. Maybe so. it's a PFL pay-per-view party. Did you ever think about that? <laughs> Man, if I show up to this thing and you're like, all right, uh, how much do you have to throw in on the PFL pay-per-view? I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be pissed off. And, there's gonna be, and a lot of our friends are going to be very confused. This, this well, that combination of words won't even make sense to them. Just have to... Uh... Just have to wait and see, I guess. You never know on what tricks I might have up my sleeve. <laughs> that is the thing about going to a party at Chad Nuttis' house. It's a lot of trickery. Skullduggery afoot. What is your just saying stuff this week? Well, Chad, this week I'm just saying, did you see Michael Chandler out here in a, you know, I'll give him credit, a, a tireless bid to stay relevant somehow, even when the losses mount up. Uh, now out here talking about a potential BMF fight with Jorge Masvidal. You remember the BMF title, right, Chad? I have vague kind of flickering memories of both the BMF title and Jorge Masvidal. Yeah, well, Michael Chandler hasn't forgotten. And apparently, I think he was talking to ESPN. I'm reading it from the story on Bloody Elbow by Lewis McKeever. But here's his quote where he says, You tell me who the BMF is right now in the UFC. You tell me who the BMF is. You tell me who the fan, if we did a poll right now, 
who's the baddest mother fudger in the UFC? Tell me that wouldn't get the juices flowing of the entire mixed martial arts world. Michael Chandler versus Jorge Masvidal for the BMF belt. The Rock walking in with it over his shoulder and then handing it to me after 15 minutes. Jed, I'm just saying, if you want to be considered as the baddest motherfucker and you won't even say the word, you won't even say the actual name of the title, I don't. I think that that disqualifies you right there. You can't come out here talking about how you want to fight for the baddest mother fudger title. I'm just saying. <laughs> Either say it and get in the conversation, or don't and stay out of it. Just saying. Just saying. I mean, maybe they could make a different belt, like a, a belt that looked like it was made out of marshmallows or something. Yeah, an edible belt. So, sure, fine. B- baddest mud- mother fudger. Mm-hmm. A bunch of. Fifth graders uh, in a youth group could fight for it. Well, Ben, I am looking at this article on uh, Bloody Elbow by Lewis McKeever. I'm just going to read you the first few. Oh, Lewis McKeever just saying stuff. Wow. Okay. Alistair Overeem has tested positive for an undisclosed banned substance following his kickboxing win over Badr Hari at Glory Collision 4, a heavyweight matchup that took place at the Glare Dome in Arnhem, Netherlands this past October. Overeem is currently awaiting the results of a B sample after his A sample from the night of his win over Hari returned positive for a banned substance. The Reem's team claims the substance he tested positive for is a, quote, non-performance enhancing substance per the Dutch news outlet De Telegraaf. Overeem beat kickboxing legend Hari v. unanimous decision. His next fight was expected to be against Dutch kickboxing champion Rico Verhoeven, but that matchup could be called off pending the results of the B sample. So I guess this week I'm just saying, I don't think we need to wait for the B sample. You guys, <laughs> you think maybe we could just wrap it up here. I think we've all kind of seen this movie before, especially as it pertains to at this point, gentlemen of a certain age, Alistair Overeem, right? Wasn't the whole thing about him leaving the UFC and going to make some more money in kickboxing where we could all, we all kind of decided we didn't give a shit about yeah. what, what was going to be going into the man's body at this point. I, I didn't even assume that there was any drug testing going on. Maybe he thought the same thing. For the B sample. It's also, not like they're going to come back and be like, oh, B sample's clean. Turns yeah. out. just Must have been just a lab out. error. Just a lab error. Apologies, Mr. Overeem. Nah, that B sample is glowing bright neon green <laughs> under a light, under a black light. Also, of all the shit that's in there. The thing that I saw had said that they were saying they were waiting for the B sample to be tested and they said that whatever it was was non performance enhancing. And I was like, I don't know if those two arguments go together. I think you got to pick one because if you're saying. That, hey, he was on something, but it wasn't even performance enhancing, so it doesn't matter. Then the B sample doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't seem like... I'm just saying, like, I don't think people, reporters out there in the MMA media, I don't think they need to be, like, canceling plans to stay by the computer so we can get it as soon as it comes off the wire about what the results of the B sample are. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, don't think we need to wait. 
Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. Thanks to everybody for joining us. We'll be over on the Patreon for at least a couple more days this week. We we'll guess we don't know what our American Thanksgiving plans are yet in terms of content, so we're going to have to figure that out, but we'll, we'll have some stuff for you over there on the Patreon. If you want to join the team, check us out, patreon.com slash co-main event. And of course, after this week, we're back to our regular scheduled programming. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. Yeah, I, I feel like we kind of buried the lead here on this episode of The Proper that you and I now have tickets to take in the first round of the FCS college football playoffs over there at Washington Grizzly Stadium where we will watch our beloved Montana Grizzlies take on the Southeastern Missouri Red Hawks in a night game. Saturday night kickoff, 8 p.m. here in the One True Time Zone. Ooh, it's going to be broadcast live all over the country on uh, ESPN2. Now, uh, can I get you to rub my feet if they get cold like Kirk Herbstreet? Got somebody on the college game day set? Because it's going to be chilly out there, man. I mean, especially since the tickets that I was able to procure for us are pretty high up in the stadium. I have a feeling we're going to be up there in the elements. And, uh, you know, it's... I don't know how we're going to make it, man. We might, we might have to take some manner of basic or, you know, emergency.